it's more important that I consistently buy in good times and bad and, and just adapt myself to the market, whatever's available in the market at that time, um, but, but keep building my strategy um, then, you know, just take time off and stop investing. You know, so if there isn't a market in Colorado, I'm going to go to Ohio. If there's not a market in Ohio, I'm going to go to Chicago. If there's not a market in Chicago, I'll go to Puerto Rico. If there's not a market right. in Puerto Rico, there's always a place. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate. From Los Angeles, I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, as you know, it's my job to explore, dissect, and interview the cream of the crop when it comes to real estate investing, business, and entrepreneurship here in the United States, so you can all make the right investing decisions to make, create massive amounts of cash flow, which will hopefully lead to financial freedom and long-term wealth. As you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, but knowledge without action means that you'll just be sitting on the fence. So, be educated first and foremost, but you also need to go out and take massive amounts of action and hopefully the cracking guests on my show will inspire you to do so. If you do like this show, please give us a review on iTunes and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching Reed Goosens. You can also find this show wherever you podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, but you'll also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link and it'll take you directly to the video recordings of these podcasts. You can see my ugly mug, but you can see the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Kira Golden. Kira is the CEO of Direct Source Wealth, a multifamily syndication firm that helps investors create passive income without paying Wall Street high fees and commissions. Kira is, a, is on a mission to bring high quality deals to Main Street, providing her clients with financial freedom through investing in real estate. Today, she shares her, how she financed her first deals, what, uh, what prompted her to shift from single to multifamily properties, and why she reaches out to big name investors at the top of their game to help fund her deals. But enough out of me, let's get her out here. G'day, Kira. Welcome to the show. Hi, Reed. It's great to be here. Thank you. How are you doing today? Doing very well. It's a good day in Colorado and heading down to Puerto Rico soon, so it can't oh, be that combination. Lovely. How's the weather in, uh, in Colorado the, uh, this time of year? It's coming to the end of summer, so getting, getting a bit cold? Not yet. A little, little crisp in the morning, but I like that during my morning uh, prayer time, so it's, <laughs> it's nice. It's nice stuff. Before we dive into the nuts and bolts of today's show, can we rewind the clock a little bit, and can you tell us how you made your first dollar as a kid? Yeah, um, I'm assuming you mean in real estate, or no? Or I'm 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 going I'm going to go all the all the way back to when you were maybe even in high school or even in primary school. Like, what was that yep. first ever dollar? That entrepreneur streak? Yeah. Um, so I mean, if we ignore the the lemonade stands, which were you know twenty five cents, I think we finally <laughs> started to get into dollars. Um, I would uh, collect magazines uh, either from my parents or from our neighbors mm -hmm. and uh, and then go sell them <laughs> to our other neighbors um, 
and uh, you know, looking back, obviously these were like old, expired magazines. So my my product wasn't very good, but I learned the value of building a relationship to make a sale for sure. <laughs> so it was more of a pity sale than anything else, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like well, I he- think my parents ended up buying back a lot of their magazines. <laughs> Here comes Kira with her with her used magazines. Oh, we better give her a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, poor kid, get her to move on. <laughs> That's incredible. So, can you walk us through the journey or your background a little bit more from selling those magazines to where you are today, and, and what made you get involved in real estate investing in the first place? Yeah. Um, so actually, I started doing those kinds of sales knowing I was headed towards real estate investing. So. Um, it was, uh, you know, like so many of us, it was Robert Kiyosaki um, mm-hmm. who inspired me. And uh, he was doing an infomercial bit about inflation and how inflation, if you don't have your money for work uh, and working for you, it, then uh, it's, it's, you're losing it. And, um, you know, that just made sense to me. And uh, so as a, as a kid, really, I started realizing that I wanted to do real estate as soon as I possibly could. Um, I wasn't. At the time, it really didn't occur to me that you could probably do real estate transactions even before you're 18. But it, you know, I figured you'd need to be able to sign a contract and stuff like that. So, um, so prior, I was you know doing whatever I could to amass the first sort of batch of capital um, and sort of working back into that, knowing I wanted to to put money to work for me. Interesting. And so, did you go to university, or did you just you know finish high school and jump straight into real estate? Yeah, um, basically. As soon as I finished high school, I knew I was going to be doing real estate and, and bought my first property. I grew up in California, which, as you know, being LA-based, California real <laughs> estate's expensive. Um, so I bought my first property actually in Arizona, and that was really my home market for a long time, and I cut my teeth down there. Um, but uh, yeah, I did that pretty much right out of high school while I was in college. So that, that $200 a month sort of covered um, my expenses through college and was was my, you know, spending money through school. Spending money, right? Just at the local pub and uh, bar, right? <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. At 18 years old, exactly. <laughs> Interesting. So now, you know, fill us in. You, you, you got this first deal in Arizona, did you say? Is that, is that how, how did you find it? What did, you know, did you stumble across it? Did you go to any courses or you just said, screw this, I'm going to go and just give it a try? Yeah, then I just did the classic route. I mean, I don't even know if courses was really a thing then. If it was, I it's not really something I would have done. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, um, so I, I'm a little little biased on that. I mean, I know courses could be very, very, very helpful for for some people. Um, for me, my general experience is the real estate market moves so fast that by the time you go and learn something in a classroom, um, it's an interesting technique, but it's not going to be relatable again until the next cycle, uh, which right. could be 10 years or more. Um, so uh, I, I found a realtor who was willing to work with a, a kid um, with a dream and, um, and eventually found a lender, Stephanie Green, um, out of Arizona, uh, who was willing to take me seriously and help find a loan product that could, you know, get me a, a, a mortgage. And, you know, we went through the process. Awesome. And did you know about cash flow at the time or was it just something that you stumbled into once you found the property? Yeah, you know, I've been trying to remember this because I've gotten a lot of these questions lately. I believe when this first started, uh, Robert Kiyosaki hadn't written Rich Dad, Poor Dad yet. And if if he had, I hadn't read it. Um, But but it was still him who was teaching. He was teaching on these infomercials. 
Um, and uh, so definitely had talked about the cash flow quadrant, that kind of stuff. It might have been pre, it was pre-organization and book form. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, that was definitely something I was focused on. Um, you know, my original thinking was, hey, you know, if over the next, you know, I'm 18, 19, something like that, I think I was 18. If I can buy, you know, five homes over the next few years, pay them off by the time I'm, you know, 48 to 50, I could retire. Right. Um, that was the, you know, original plan. It right. seems like such a small, simple plan these days. But at the time, <laughs> that was like impossible. Right. And it's, it's funny you bring that up because we all start out with that sort of, oh, I'm going to buy, if I buy a house every year for the next 10 years and then pay it off in 20 years, like that's the, that's the short, that's a small goal. And then once you start breaking into real estate, it's like a drug, right? And then you just start, you, yeah. know, you just like shoot for the stars. I'm going to buy all these multifamily and, and we'll get into that in a little bit, but it's such a weird concept, right? As, as human beings, we, we, we start off small, but then look to, to scale big. So you started off with this one property in Arizona. Walk me through the process of how you started, then how you got to direct source wealth and, and where you are today. Um, uh, you know, fast forward 10 years by the sounds of it. Yeah. So sort of the highlighted version, um, uh, you know, was doing the single family model at first, I was in college and then in, in grad school, you know, I still went sort of the traditional education route in parallel. Um, and uh, while doing that, um, had quite an education on the real estate side. So I was in DC, the DC market was just booming like crazy in the greater DC area. Uh, it was sort of like a market we see now in, in Colorado and um, Arizona and some places in the US. Um, you know, where condos are being built so fast that you could literally put a $2,000 deposit down on a condo. And by the time it was built, you could have sold the, the purchase option. Right. So I started doing some of that kind of stuff as the first time I did anything that wasn't just a straight, you know, buy a property, put a tenant in, figure I was going to pay it off in 30 years kind of a thing. Um, I started to realize I could really accelerate the growth model. Um, so in parallel, I continued to target buying, you know, one home a year. And I was always frustrated. You know, it wasn't one a year. It was one and then nothing for two years and then mm-hmm. two. I felt all caught up and then nothing again for three years, you know. <laughs> ah, um you know, but, um, you know, kind of continue doing that while in parallel, um, exploring other opportunities. And, and, you know, then 2006 came along and, um, went overseas and bought my first place over there. Um, you know, didn't really trust what was going on in the U S economy and, uh, wanted to sort of protect myself from that. And then came back to the U S in 2000, uh, well, came back in 2007, but didn't start investing again really until 2010, even maybe I think I did a couple small deals in 2009 and that's when I started doing fix and flips. I mean, the market just called for it. And, um, 2000, by 2012, I was no longer doing fix and flips. I felt like the margins weren't there. It's so funny to me to talk to, in fact, we're going to start doing some fix and flips again. And I'm kind of looking at myself going, you know, the margins are even tighter now than they were in 2012. But, uh, but I've learned so much, you know, when I was first starting, I needed huge margins to cover my gigantic mistakes. Um, (laughs) Now, now I'm uh, efficient and I've learned. And so, you know, it's like I can go in and have a tighter margin and still, still actually make more money. Right. That's, that's, that's so interesting. Talk to me quickly about your going overseas because you know, a lot of, a lot of this show is educating people on how to invest here in the United States, but you went overseas in 2006 and, and where did you buy? Yeah, I was buying in France primarily because uh, I was living in uh, Nice and Tours. Uh, I did some 
stuff generally in, in Europe, but um, I was really, there were a couple of drivers there. Number one, the U.S. market was struggling. I, well, not struggling. It was actually the opposite. I, it looked like struggling to me. Everyone else was like, this is the greatest economy we've ever had, but I'm going, you know, how does anyone buy anything? It's crazy. It's, uh, it's difficult. You know, also over in Europe, people had to put down, you know, 25%, 30% minimum to buy a home. Um, home ownership was a, you know, a right or, you know, an, a, an earned privilege, not an entitlement or a right. Um, there wasn't quite the same amount of crazy, you know, no doc, no income, no capability of paying, but we'll give you a mortgage anyway, um, going on over there. And so I felt like those fundamental variables would insulate me from um, what I was concerned would happen in the U.S. in terms of like, it just didn't seem sustainable. Uh, I had no clue how unsustainable or how bad it would get, but it just, I couldn't see how it was going to last. And in Europe seemed a little, I figured Europe would be affected by the U.S. economy being hurt, but, but a little more insulated. And since I'm a long-term buy and hold investor, it's more important that I consistently buy in good times and bad and, and just adapt myself to the market, whatever's available in the market at that time, um, but, but keep building my strategy um, then, you know, just take time off and stop investing. You know, so if there isn't a market in Colorado, I'm going to go to Ohio. If there's not a market in Ohio, I'm going to go to Chicago. If there's not a market in Chicago, I'll go to Puerto Rico. If there's not a market right. in Puerto Rico, there's always a place somewhere. Right. No, I think that's, that's so important to have the mental prowess, I guess is the right word, to go out there and, and understand that as things change, you as an investor need to change your strategy, not just sit on the fence and think, well, my market's done, you know, for the next 10 years, I've got to wait. Right. And so right. Uh, that's very, very interesting that you went to France. So that sort of leads me into another question. I know we, we sort of, we'll get back on the path, but of where we're headed with, with these, these series of questions, but the whole idea of an international country being uh, in your mind safer because there was no ninja loans, there was none of this sort of crazy lending going on. And you were, you were looking back at, at the United States and everyone's like, this is the greatest time, the best time in the economy. How do you draw parallels from back then in 2006 to where we are right now in 2017? <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of parallels. Um, uh, you know, I'll start with the blanket comment. It's almost exactly the same. Wow. And then I'll differentiate where I feel there's still some opportunity domestically. Mm -hmm. So one of the major differences now versus then was some of the fundamental economic policies by our lending institutions. So when people talk about real estate, I think they, they miss a major portion of the conversation, which is talking about what's going on with lender, what's going on with capital policies for our cheap debt that fuels our, our economy, uh, our business models, right? Right. And because, you know, people always think of talk, there's a lot of time spent talking about equity and about finding good deals and, and all of that. Um, but quite frankly, deals come, equity comes, when you have good, strong lending relationships and partners, because lenders are your largest uh, investment partners. I mean, they're covering, you know, minimum usually 50 up through sometimes 80 or 90% of deal costs. Right. And um, so what was going on then that is, I think, better now is that lenders were making very blanket U.S. policies. So um, when Fannie or Freddie was lending across the U.S., it didn't matter if you were in, you know, Ahwatukee, Kansas, where there was one coal mine, you know, as, as the employer, you know, you could get a no-doc stated income loan 
So if you didn't even have a job in Ahwatukee, Kansas, and there was no fundamental possibility that you would have a job anytime soon, you could still go buy a house. Right. And what that did was that drove the market up like crazy. Uh, now, lenders are very much more um, with a scalpel deciding how is the underlying economics. So I think they're paying better attention to, you know, are there fundamental positive economic indicators in a place like Denver or Phoenix uh, or Chicago that say, you know, it's still an okay time to be lending in those places, but maybe in, and I'm not going to, you know, pigeonhole any particular city here, but, you know, maybe an XYZ city, an XYZ state, um, we need to be pulling back. Right. Um, so I think lenders are being more sophisticated. They've learned a lot. Um, and that's going to fundamentally protect the rest of us because it's going to force sort of the, the silly buyers. Um, and I don't want to call them stupid, but the <laughs> silly buyers who are like, hey, if I can get money, I should buy something. Right. Um, right, right. Which isn't always true. Just because someone gives you a credit card doesn't mean you should go, you know, have a crazy day at Nordstrom's, right? Like, um, <laughs> you, you know, you as the borrower still have some account of, some significant accountability there. Uh, but the lenders um, getting more uh, nuanced in their lending policies, I think, has really helped. So, so now we have, we have, even though there's blanket across the U.S., it's just crazy time. I believe there are pockets within the U.S. that still have a significant amount of upside. Right. And I think it's also, you know, being a, an active investor myself, or as you, as you are as well, you know, the way lenders, particularly Freddie and Fanny, look at, say, larger deals that you and I buy in terms of debt service coverage ratios and stuff like that to make sure there's some fat in there on the in-place numbers and that you're going in as an investment opportunity to create more value with, you know, rehabbing the property or, and then increasing the rent. So your DCR will, will, will go up. So obviously reducing risk to, to the debt and, and, and then obviously hopefully you never default on, on your debt. Right. So combining, you know, a couple of strategies and, and what you're saying is, is making sure that one you're buying, right. But then the, the bank is also verifying your buying decisions with the correct loan that they're assigning to you, particularly if it's Freddie and Fannie. Right. And then you're also going in there with the business plan to move it up and move the NOI up and, and all that sort of good stuff. And we're getting into the weeds, but that's essentially what you're trying to say is that if you, if you do, you know, one step two, step three, hopefully step four is that you're profitable. Right. So well, as I say, the other thing is, you know, we adapt our style. So, you know, right now, given the uncertainty of where the economy's at, we're much more inclined to sign up for long-term debt. Like we want to know we're locking in our debt for 10 years or more. Um, whereas, you know, if we were at the bottom of the market, I'd be much more comfortable with a one-year or two-year loan. Um, because with long-term debt, it gives me the possibility to sort of ride out anything that could be thrown at me. Um, you know, because that, that was another major issue is that, you know, projects were, were making money. People were profitable. The NOI was good. And then the loan came due and there were no lenders to refinance it. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that's, 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 and that's the fear that people have today, right? When they're putting on these agency debt loans of seven years, they're thinking, well, maybe in seven years time, there might not be anyone out there to refinance that, that loan for you, which can you know, put a huge amount of uncertainty on, on a particular investment opportunity if you're looking right now. So if everyone out there listening, you know, make sure you're putting the right debt on, on the property. Um, yep. So let's dive into the juicy stuff of what I've got you on the show to talk about today. I mentioned in the introduction that you have a very unique way of attracting capital and, and you know, hitting up top players to invest in your deals. So walk us through how your, your strategies and techniques that, that you do um, to bring capital to direct source wealth to help you then fund your deals. 
Yeah, um, so it's a little bit of strategies and techniques, and it's a little bit of just I'm doing what God put me on this planet to do, so things seem to work out um, in, in sort of amazing ways. Um, so for an example of that, um, I, I can't tell you how many, you know, either 100 millionaires or billionaire family office people I've met on a Southwest Airlines flight. Um, which, you know, would, would blow your mind. I mean, I, you don't think those are people flying Southwest, but, um, you know, they're, they're, they're money smart people. <laughs> they like value. Um, so I think probably two or three of our last larger investors, I, I literally met on a Southwest flight, um, you know, one flying up from Phoenix, um, another one flying back uh, to Denver from LA, uh, people flying down to Puerto Rico. Um, so, uh, you know, just getting out there and being around people is huge. Um, but then but that's kind of the chance piece of it. You know, you can't control that. You just have to kind of put yourself out there and, and you know, engage with people, talk to people sitting next to you. You know, you just never know. But then uh, the, the more intentional piece of it is, um, you know, we're really, really relationship focused. So we work with our existing investors um, and prospective investors to uh, to, to build the relationship. I mean, in a world where everyone's sort of moving to this online crowdfunding, you know, not very personal model, you know, rather than setting me, just, you know, make a small investment uh, kind of approach, which, you know, that's, that's a valid approach. Um, I've really kind of gone the opposite direction and gone back to basics um, and the old school, you know, face-to-face -face relationship model. So, you know, we'll do, uh, we'll ask our investors, our existing investors to host a dinner and invite, you know, maybe four or five couples uh, over uh, who they have spoken with about direct source wealth or about real estate investing. Um, and just in a, a nice, easy, casual environment, um, educate people um, and see if it's a fit for them to work with us. Or, and, if, and if not with us, oftentimes, you know, if their investment philosophy is different, but they like real estate, we'll connect them with, um, you know, a colleague or somebody who is, you know, more in alignment with their approach. But, uh, but it's, all, it's all relationship driven. Interesting. That's that's a that's a great way or, or great way of looking at it. Particularly as you said, with today's economy and the way we're all going a million miles an hour, and there's crowdfunding and connecting, uh, connecting the crowd to the to deals, and it's got a great um, it, it's got a great underlying value. And, and I think as we do change, uh, you know, like you know, we can connect with an Uber driver with the click of a button. We don't know the Uber driver. It's just the same idea as using with crowd crowdfunding. However you know, inherently investing in real estate, particularly large sums of cash is very mano a mano, right? Like it's not, you can't just right. hit a click of a button. Oh, here's a hundred thousand dollars. I don't know who the hell you are without doing some due right. diligence. So I think it's, it speaks volumes to you as a, a business operator um, to get on a plane and go and, you know, host dinners with, with your, with your pre-existing network to still one, put a face to a name, still show that you're there. Um, but again, it, it's hard to break the mold of what people have been raised on, which is I need to meet the person. I need to touch and feel them. I need to make sure they're credible. And before I'm then going to go and invest and, 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 you know, personally with my business, I found the same sort of thing. It's very hard to transition someone who's just cruising the internet to then say, Oh, here's, here's a hundred thousand dollars to invest. It's, it's a good idea, but I think it's going to take a little time to get to there. So with, yeah, well, and we use the technology to back it up. So once right. the relationship's there, one of the things I'm really proud of is we've built a system where you can literally be sitting on the beach. I'm always like, okay, how do we make it to the investor can sit on the beach? That's, that's, our, that's one of our driving, you know, when you can sit on the beach, you can get a text, you know, see it on your iPhone or on your Apple watch or whatever. And um, it'll say, you know, new, new deal coming up. Here's the highlighted terms. You can call 
um, if you're interested, you know, connect with us, talk about the deal. And then, um, and then you can do the entire investment from your phone and then the funds ACH right into the operating account or the purchasing account or the escrow account, wherever it's appropriate. Um, you know, so, so all of the technology is there to do it very easy and seamlessly once the relationship's in place. And that's where we've found that, that healthy balance. Right. And I think that, that on the front end, you've done that work of, you know, flying out to different people's houses and, and hosting dinners that, that has a sort of, uh, uh, you're planting those seeds and those seeds are now coming to, to, to fruition where they can just receive a text and, uh, and they trust yep. you, you built the trust and all of a sudden you're off to the races. So uh, tell me how many times you've gotten a plane and flown around the country and hosted these dinners because they, they sound really, really intriguing and I, and I want to one, attend one, but two, I start hosting them myself. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, let me know if you want to do one in LA. We'll come out. We can okay. do a joint one or something. Yeah, for um, sure. But you know, we target once a month. You know, I'm okay. a I'm a mom of a of a two year old, so um, much more than that gets to be um, a little bit cumbersome. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we we try to do once a month, and we started with our you know our core advisory board, and then working with our direct investor base. And sometimes we'll do I say one a month, but like for example, when we go to LA, I think the last time we were in LA, I did three over the weekend. You know, wow. because it's like once you're there, and you you know LA is not LA. LA is you know Orange County, <laughs> LA up to Valencia. You know, like. Yep. And, and nobody's like nobody's willing to go more than twenty miles. You know, right. it takes four and a half hours to do that. Um, so, you know, um, so you, you know, we kind of have to spread it out and do a few different locations. Nice. And and talk to me about how you're finding these investors on the front end. Is it through a uh, a funnel that you guys have set up at Drexelsource Wealth through education? Is it literally just through word of mouth? How how does it look to get them? Walk me through the funnel if you could. You know, from inception yep. to so, getting to invest. Yeah, so it definitely started as word of mouth, um, you know, because I, I didn't set out to invest other people's capital. You know, I was just set out to do my own and do more deals and bigger deals. And, right. um, you know, and then, you know, people start to see you, you know, not fail like they thought you would. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, okay, maybe I want, maybe I want in, you know. It's, it's, right. You have to kind of push past that desire to be like, whatever you didn't want to invest with me then why would i want your money now um but uh once you kind of get over that and start you know, opening it up then we started actually really intentionally saying hey you know we could we can make a real difference here for, for not just for the, our individual investors which is important but um, for the industry as a whole uh, so you and i'll probably talk later about how we keep doing bigger and bigger deals um and a lot of what's driving that on the investor side as well is that um the traditional investing space, you know, slinging stock funds and mutual funds through layers of fees in, in investment product um, just kind of disgusts me. <laughs> and um, I really want to, uh, to shake, shape it up. So, you know, when I drive by and I see a, a huge skyscraper with the name of one of the large institutional guys on it, I'm like, you know, God bless you, man, but I want your name taken off. I want DSW's name up there. I want something that represents empowering individual investors and getting them closer direct access to deals and, and removing so many of the layers of, of bureaucracy and fees and, and hands in the cookie jar. Um, and, uh, you know, so that, that mission of, of really ch changing the face of what is considered sort of the normal way to invest, um, that demanded that we began finding more participants, more investors. Right. Um, and so, you know, a lot of that just comes from 
you know, because obviously, you know, you can't go, I don't want to be out slinging a deal. You know, I don't want to be like, here's the hottest deal. Here's this deal. Here's that deal. That's not what we're about. We're about, you know, building a long-term portfolio and long-term cash flow and meeting the investor's needs. So, you know, we really just focus on, hey, this is who we are. This is what Direct Source Wealth does as a company. You know, maybe here's our track record or, you know, that kind of stuff. But uh, often we don't even get to track record until we've built the relationship. Like, mm-hmm. who are you? What are your goals? Um, and so a lot of our online stuff is about that. It's just about education, you know, educating people for free, um, you know, helping them know what we've done, doing things like, you know, participating with you and your podcast. So thank you. You know, um, all of that gets us exposure in terms of who we are. Uh, and we don't really even get down to talking about deals um, for a while. We really want to get to know who people are and then get to know who we are. And, and then if it seems like there's a fit, then we might, you know, we might finally talk about a deal. You know, I think that's, that's incredible stuff in terms of, that people have that inherent, uh, I don't know if it's sickness or tiredness of, of being in the, in the stock markets and, and mutual funds and being, you know, um, charged every which way until Sunday with fees uh, and not really yeah. having any control over. Yes, it's a liquid investment, but it's, you know, it's not backed by anything hard. It's, you know, the, the benefits from, from a taxation point of view aren't as great. So I do see, and, you know, we've seen a lot in the last five, since pretty much the recession, um, you know, so much flight out of the stock market into real estate, into hard assets because of the benefits. But then that's also spawned uh, a sort of a, a sub-industry like what you and I do, which is attracting investors directly into the deal, right? So they're, d- they're dealing directly right. with the operator. There's no middleman. There's no fees for the middleman. It's like, this is the deal. This is our track record. You're investing literally in this deal. You're going to be a part owner of this deal and you have all the benefits of owning real estate at the same time, but you don't lift, lift a finger, which is fantastic in what people want. And, and it goes back to what your your main mission is, is to get to know investors and, and, and not just be that faceless corporation that just takes fees. You don't, you don't, you don't know who the hell you're dealing with, right? And, and, and you're sort of, you're building a tribe and your tribe is like, you know, loyal to direct source wealth and they're, they're going to come back day in, day out and, 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 and text you back, say, yes, I'm involved in this next deal. And they have not even seen actually the numbers of it yet because they know they trust you. Right. So, 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 yeah. so well done. Um, that does segue into uh, another section of the show, which is what we're going to talk about now is, is how you've scaled. And, and you mentioned before, like getting bigger and bigger deals. So, we talked about at the beginning of the show how you, your goal was one deal a year and it took you a couple of times, you know, it was a bit of stuttering along the first couple of years, but now you sounds like you're doing some incredible stuff. We talked a little bit about offline about some of the deals you're doing in Puerto Rico and we'll get to that in a minute, but have you surprised yourself in the way in which you've grown this investor database to then be exposed to bigger and better deals? Constantly. I don't know who I am. I mean, I'm just like, who is this person? I mean, we had my whole, my core team was up this week. We were doing some business development and I'm sitting in this room with just the most brilliant, amazing people who had, you know, career trajectories on, you know, the institutional platform that would have them, you know, quote unquote, set for life. And, right. and, and, and they left, they left and they came to join me. And I'm just, like, oh my God, awesomely responsible for, for that. <laughs> like, how do I, how do I, okay, let's do this, you know? And um, I feel like the company, it's really exciting because we've grown. One of my big, big pushes after having my son was to go from, you know, people say, oh, I'm an entrepreneur, I own a company. And I've always kind of poked at myself. I don't want to say I'll poke at other people who say this, but I poked at myself when I said that stuff because it was like, I didn't really own a company. I, had a, I owned a job. And I had a lot of benefits of owning my own job, right? Like I could call my own hours. I could, you know, do 
that I wanted to do when I wanted to do it, other than, you know, of course, obviously my customers. Um, but now it's like, it's a company and the, the people who it's made up of are so much bigger than the sum of our parts, uh, myself included. And, and it's just really exciting to see that um, develop. And, you know, yes, a lot of that I, I'll take credit for and say that, that I had, I, was, I would say even I was given a vision and I had the courage to follow that vision. Um, but a lot of it I can't take credit for because the people who've come along the way and have uh, come alongside me and shared in our vision and believed in it, that's what's really made it real. Um, it, it's, you know, having your own idea, that's one thing. It's, it's other people buying into your idea that starts to go, oh, wow, this isn't just some pipe dream. Like, this is, this is real. And, and, and then that's allowed us to, to grow um, significantly beyond even what I could imagine for myself or my, obviously my own individual capacity. I mean, the number of deals we underwrite, the uh, number of deals we, we close, the amount of funding we do, I could never do that on, on my own. I mean, it, it takes the team that we have and it's, it's amazing the way that we all work together. No, I think that's incredible and, and well done. Congratulations, big pat on the back. And I think you've realized that you've created this ecosystem of people and minds and um, uh, visions, uh, so to speak, to, to, to put the fundamentals in place to then let other people, you know, go off and, and as you said, do the underwriting, find the deals. And then through your core values of being someone who's open, transparent, and, you know, wanting to be mano a mano with your investors, you're creating a culture, which is so important, yeah. which is now you're looking back and thinking, you know, bloody well done, you know, <laughs> and now you can go see yeah. a little bit more, hopefully uh, with your son. <laughs> It's amazing because, you know, what it happens is like you actually do, you create a culture and now I can actually see the, the beginnings of the shift that I want to see on the planet, you know, and, and begin to see that like our culture starts to become a microcosm and if I can continue to nurture it and care for it and build it, that it, it will, it will spread as it will affect the institutions and the institutions will change and we will get where we are going. Like I can see that with confidence now where, you know, if you asked me that two or three years ago, I'd be like, well, I'm really hopeful. <laughs> really, really hopeful. <laughs> nice. Nice. So talk to me about what, 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 what's the future got hold for you and direct source wealth. What type of deals are you doing now? Um, and, and maybe some of the personal stuff you're also uh, on a mission to, to accomplish as well. Yeah, so, you know, we, we finally got our seat at the table. We've got a handful of large institutional partners, um, you know, because, you know, one of the things I think happens a lot in our industry is we've got a lot of renegades, right? A lot of us don't like the status quo. We go off and do it our own way. We get to a certain point where we're making a good amount of money and uh, we go sit on a beach, you know? <laughs> um, and, and, hey, nothing wrong with that um, at all. Um, but our vision's a little bit different than that. And so we've really been pushing to not go the, the traditional course where, you know, a successful independent operator gets captured by institutional capital or a family office and becomes you know, sort of a sole capital uh, operator um, and then sort of tapers off. We've really, really pushed to stay focused with the individual investor and then represent the individual investor with a seat at the table um, with the big boys. Um, I say big boys. There's some big girls there too, but mostly big boys. And uh, so we go sit at the table with them and begin to say, hey, you know, the way it was done, the, the coupon clipping on a fund, um, those days are on their way out, um, guys. And we need to be thinking about, you know, what are we doing fundamentally to protect the individual investor? Um, what are we doing to represent them? And, um, and I'm, 
amazed and honored how many ears and hearts on Wall Street are saying, we agree with you. Like, we need to do this better. We need to do this differently. Let's come side by side and figure out how to how to merge um, these two kind of historically very opposing uh, groups. You know, how do we sit at the table together and figure out how to how to do this? So um, that's really our focus going forward. And, and that just dovetails with why we're doing you know, $100 million deals. You can't bring a large institutional investor a $5 million deal and, and get their attention. Right. Um, you know, you need to be bringing, you know, 50 million, 100 million, 200 million dollar deals um, so that it's worth the time. I mean, they're managing billions and billions of dollars. Um, if it's worth their time to pay attention and then you can start to say, and we're going to do it slightly differently. Right. Um, and that, that's really exciting. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm really excited for the, your growth and, and where you guys are going. It's definitely very inspirational um, personally as well to hear that you're, you're leaps and bounds. And, and I know that your time is precious. So I, I wanted to get into a few more questions, but I have to get you maybe back on the show uh, sure. in, in a few months time. But I do want to wrap the show up with um, you giving me your top five investing tips. You, uh, you ready to dive into it? Yeah, let's do it. So what is the number one habit that you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Meditation. Really? You're a big meditator? Who, who, do, you, who do you follow yes. and why? No one. No one? <laughs> <laughs> no one. Yeah, no. Uh, it's about spending the time uh, in connection with God and, and really just keeping the channel open um, so that I can, I can be led in the right direction. Nice. I'm so actually using... I call it meditation. Maybe that's a little more PC. I mean, I might even be so bold as to call it prayer, um, but it's not prayer in the way people think of it, where I sit down and you know list out my needs. Um, it's prayer where you know I, I open the channel with God, and and uh, you know he he's always open to our best, but I have to kind of consciously sit down and open my channel back to listen and uh, you know connect and, and keep the values and the priorities in the right place. Nice, nice. I, I, I'm. Uh... I'm a huge fan of meditation. I've got this new app. It's called Headspace. Uh, if you are, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really good just to focus on your breathing and, and for some people who just want to, you know, clear, get your, the, the chatter out of their head. Um, yep. that and that and journaling, I think are very, very, you've got, you've got to sort of yep. go one and two, two and, and, and being grateful. I think it's another one. Great one. Uh-huh. Who's the most influential person in your career to date? I know you were going to ask the question. I should have an answer. Uh, <laughs> Let's go back to that one. Okay. Okay. Uh, who's, <laughs> what is the most influential tool in your business? You know, given the fact that you've scaled this business to direct source wealth, you've got this incredible vision, you're, you're building something, you know, tangible and, and very successfully by the sounds of it. So there'd have to be a tool and it can be anything. It could be a person, it could be a phone, it could be some software that really helps you day to day, week to week to, to, to manage your business better. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to be too redundant, so I'll say meditation, but I'll give you another answer also. <laughs> um, it's, uh, um, you know, I, in terms of like physical tools, um, you know, we use, uh, uh, well, actually, you know what, I'm going to say an airplane is probably the most <laughs> helpful physical tool. Um, you know, gosh, if that wasn't around, I don't think we'd be, uh, our business model would be very effective. Right. So you, 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 you spend a lot of time in the air, I take it, racking up those free supply points. Yep. Nice. Yep. Nice stuff. What is the biggest failure in your career to date? And what have you learned? The biggest failure? Mm-hmm. 
there's so many to choose from. <laughs> um, uh, okay, what are the, actually, I would say the biggest thing I really learned from, um, you know, when, when you're small and you're just kind of tinkering around in your tiny little piece of the world, you could say pretty much anything you want out loud. Um, <laughs> as your stage gets bigger, um, you have to pay much more attention to what you say. <laughs> and, and not just what you say, but how it may come across, um, you know, because it may not even be what you mean, but, you, you know, it could sound wrong. Um, and so I, I made that mistake once, uh, or more than once, but once in a, in a pretty epic way. And we almost damaged a major relationship with a partner and lender of ours um, wow. where, you know, I kind of spoke on their behalf. And I wasn't saying anything untrue. I mean, I was repeating something said in a private meeting, Mm-hmm. Um, but it really wasn't my place to repeat that. Um, and I really started to understand and get accountable for um, what I'm, you know, what comes, what's sourced from myself that I'm allowed to take ownership of and say publicly and, and what, what is somebody else's to say? Um, right. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so that, that almost cost us a pretty big deal. Um, and thankfully to some amazing open-hearted and open-minded people, we got that deal back on track, but um, but I definitely learned, you know, don't be dishonest and don't be too guarded. It's important to, to be who you are, but, but just think about what you say before you say it. <laughs> right, right, right. right. <laughs> so before we wrap it up, who was that most influential person in your career? Yeah, you know, I, I don't, I, all right. I don't, I don't know if this is really, really true, but I'm going to answer the question. Uh-huh. Um, I had a professor in graduate school um, who, and let me tell you guys, I'm, I'm dyslexic. Mm-hmm. I am a terrible, terrible writer. Um, <laughs> and I like thought to, to arm to fingertips, like there is a, a giant disconnect. Um, and so I did some assignment, some paper, and I, I got it back and he pulled me aside and he basically said, look, you know, you're never going to amount to anything if you don't figure out how to do this. And I told him, I said, look, you know, I, this is kind of a false environment where I have to write my own papers. They said, I, when I get out of here, I can hire someone to do that. And he said, well, you know, but you're going to have to start at the bottom and work your way up. You'll never get through the bottom if you don't learn the skill. And, and I mean, this was coming from someone I deeply, deeply respected the, the chair of the specific graduate program I had chosen because of him being sort of a leader in the, in the space. And, um, and I did, I went in the bathroom at the university and I bawled my eyes out, like, cause I kind of believed him for a hot minute. And, um, and then kind of said, you know, I don't know what your audience, I'm going to keep my language clean, but kind of told them, you know, you can be as dirty as you want. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I was like, fuck him, you know, and fuck his ideas and, you know, fuck his degree. I mean, I'll finish it, this shit, but like, who the fuck cares? And all right, that was a lot of F-bombs, but that's how I felt at the moment. Right. And, uh, and I would say, you know, him and a couple other teachers like that who were real dicks, um, you know, convinced me I didn't want to go the traditional route. I didn't want to go work 90 hours a week, you know, at an intern at some job in DC uh, to work my way up the ladder. Um, I wanted, you know, I was going to, I was going to do it my own. And, and so, you know, in some ways being discouraged from being able to be successful in the traditional world um, empowered me 
to take the, the, the course that I, that my heart, you know, really wanted me to take, uh, instead of distracting me, I could have easily, you know, with the ridiculous amount of education I have, I could have easily wasted a decade or two in corporate America. Well, I think good on them for, for being such dicks and, and push, making, pushing, <laughs> pushing down a path where it, it, it is clearly in leaps and bounds have, um, you know, reaped some, incredible fruit for you but i think it's also you know we can't take anything away from you yourself and having that vision um so 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 well done and and sticking to your guns and not you know not in backing yourself and i think that's what this show is all about right it's about being educated and all that sort of great stuff but at the end of the day you also got to go out and back yourself and back your decision and back your vision and go out and then get it done and and, and you and figure yeah. it out you know and and someday you'll look back like you are right now and looking back on that professor and going, well, hey, man, screw you. I, I got to where I got because of, of what I believed in. So, uh, so, so very, very well done. Um, I want to just ask one last question is where can people reach you if they want to continue the conversation, want to find out a little bit more about direct sales wealth or just even find out a little bit more about yourself? Yeah. Um, so our website's directsourcewealth.com. Um, there's contact information there that, that can connect you guys. We're on LinkedIn. We're on Facebook, you know, all those major places. Um, and then we have an 800 number also. So it's 844, not 800, it's 844 source for like source for deals. Uh -huh. Um, so 844 source for, um, and that'll circulate to, to pretty much anyone in the company round Robins. It could come to me, it could go to our investor development team. Um, but, uh, yeah, if they want to give us a call, we'd, we'd love to talk with people and, uh, you know, hear what's going on in their world and how we can help. Perfect. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to jump on the show. I just quickly want to summarize some of the big things that I took away from this conversation. And uh, one of the big things I, I think from, from yourself and the inspiration that you provided is, is legacy. Uh, legacy and vision were very, very powerful in your, in, it sounds like in your career and, and sticking to your guns mm -hmm. uh, and sticking to your vision. And that's so important in today's world. You know, everyone's about this. We spoke all about you know, sitting on the fence and, you know, going to all these courses and, but not actually taking action. And you've gone out there, taken action, and now you've created an incredible business. Um, the other big thing that I took away from is, is particularly when it comes to capital raising is focus on the basics. Um, get back to connecting with your investors, mano a mano, jump on a plane, you know, get in a car if you can't get on a plane and go and connect with investors as best you can, particularly in this crazy world of, uh, of online, uh, you know, crowdsourcing, which sounds really good. Uh, but in reality, if you're starting out, I think uh, that, that mano minor relationship because people are going to invest in you you first and foremost in the deal second um so so did i leave anything out no i think uh i think that's great thank you so much reed for the opportunity it's always good to connect with you yeah well thank you kira thanks for dropping by enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up soon thanks talk to you soon buddy. bye well, there you have it. Another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible advice. And I just want to say thank you so much to Kira. There were so many golden nuggets in that, that conversation. I'm sure a lot of you are going to go back, rewind, listen to what Kira has to say. She's very, very inspirational, um, you know, given the fact that, you know, she was told by some professors that she wasn't going to make it and blah, blah, blah. I think a lot of people can can emulate or, or relate to those sort of things, um, you know, as you're starting out in business. I do really love the fact that she has broken and broken it down into terms of capital raising, gone back to the basics, having those, you know, those little uh, investor dinners with inviting friends and family around to really get that mano a mano relationship going. So it's so a pretty incredible stuff. But make sure you do check out uh, a summary of today's conversation with Kira. It'll be all up on my website, my new website, which is reedgoosens.com. Remember to click on the podcast tab 
Thanks again for taking some time out of your day to continue to grow your real estate investing knowledge. It's because that's what we're all about here on this show, giving you the knowledge so you can go out and be successful and get deals done and to increase your financial IQ. We're going to do this all again next week. So take care, be safe, and remember, happy investing.